Okay, here we are, hitting our top 20 list, the top 20 things for 2021 um, and what we believe you need to be working at or including in your business. And if you want the first 10, head over to thewealthyretailer.com or retailbycrs.com and sign up for the white paper. We'll always include these in our in our weekly newsletters and of course on your favorite podcast platform. So head over to retailbycrs.com and hit subscribe. Let's keep trucking here on number 11. Number 11 is really about retail mastermind collaborations. And mastermind and collaboration may be a little bit synonymous, but I want you to think about you know, this is part of my development, Rob. I want to be able to join or create my own, even better, create my own mastermind group. A mastermind group is a peer-to-peer mentoring group that's used to help members solve problems with input and advice from other group members. I mean, that itself is a mastermind. Members hold each other accountable. They share their best practices, best operational practices. Too many times I listen to retailers that have joined mastermind groups, and it's just simply a marketing strategy. It's a you know, let's be creative with marketing ads. That is not necessarily best practice. I want you to focus on where your obstacles are operationally. You know, you think about, you know, how the members in your group work through similar issues. Your peers are objective and help you see their objective or an objective opinion, solution, or action. Make your mastermind group a collaborative, each person giving, entity search out and invite retailers to fill a gap in your group keep your group number manageable the how many keep it manageable the best is six to twelve you know six to twelve big spread in there you know if i have 12 there's a good chance eight are going to be on every meeting right if i have only six there's a good chance you know three or four are going to be on every meeting when when you look at these groups Dan, what are your thoughts as it relates to competitiveness and and even a second part to maybe should people be looking for a geographic group? Like, is it is it better that you're all within a specific region or do you find that that matters? Um, it, it does not matter. It does not okay. matter. You know, you, me talking about your performance because you're out of my geographical area is just an excuse. It's not the reason I can't do or not achieve that. Oh, well, you're in Florida. You have more sunshine. Well, that's, just, right, that's right. not the way that yeah. retail works. Um, so ideally, you're looking for similar within a scale retailers. You know, for a long time, I belonged to furniture mastermind groups yeah. and it was all furniture. You know, now we see a blend of, you know, retail and that's okay. Not ideal, but okay. I want retailers that are selling similar things to me. And I certainly believe in collaboration over competition. I know for a fact, the better we are as a community, the better our community will perform. So I am not opposed to having two similar retailers in a similar geographical region. That's a, you know, that's gotta be about you. How confident are you in what you're doing? And are you a giver or a taker? Do you believe in true collaboration or are you that person that squirrels things away and then, you know, isn't sharing? So, you know, it's about gathering retailers that are a little bit 
higher in revenue and a little bit lower in revenue. Let's pick a revenue scale. You know, if you're 500 to a million, you're going to have similar activities. If you're one to 3 million, you're probably operating at a different level than that person that's 500. And they're always going to look at you like this, you know, in awe. Can't can't believe you're doing that. Right, right. Yeah, in awe. Oh, I can't wait till I grow up. Well, that's not going to help you. Right, right. Right. So you've got to you've got to assemble similar, you know, volume stores. And I can tell you in my mastermind group, you know, we did have two and a half to 10 million. And we found that the greatest challenge, the greatest, you know, challenge in being sticky with each other was the disparity in revenue. Oh, really? And when we got to, you know, five and 10, it got closer. That's not to throw away that $3 million retailer that wants to grow to five. If she's got a vision plan to get to five, I want her to be part of my group. And I want people to say, hey, you know, I'm going to get across this level and this level and this level right. and breaking down and, and performing, you know, what we would call a, an FMA, a financial metrics analysis allows me to see things as a percentage of revenue instead of revenue. You know, if you're operating your warehouse and delivery at or fil- fulfillment, we'll call it today, fulfillment, yeah. Yeah. you know, warehouse and fulfillment center at three and a half or 5%, I want to know that. and I want to know how you do it. How do I get to that number? So, right. you know, these mastermind groups do need to have some level of financial accountability. This is not a marketing club. And and you make a very good distinction because I think there are, especially you get into those Facebook groups, like there's a lot of those groups that are very specific to marketing, and but not that, to your point of really diving into that accountability around operations and, right. and, and you're having a lot more personal conversation or, or I'll say very sensitive conversations about this is, this is what's going on. And, and you get some pretty strong, truthful uh, answers in when you get a really good group going. I, right. I've been a part of those before. And one of the things that I leaned on and still do lean on in any mastermind setting you know, is insider knowledge, man. It's like, hey, I need a bag line. I need a jacket line. I need a dot, dot, dot line. Yeah. You know, and I can go to my my mastermind group and say, hey, guys, who's out there performing really well? I promise if you ask the vendor, <laughs> you're going to get one choice. If you ask your mastermind group, you're going to get five choices. And this is the power of looking to retailers that are somewhat similar. You know, oh, I don't carry that line, but I carry this line. Right and getting on. caught up in marketing ahead of operation is a mistake. Yeah. There is no recovery for being a poor operator. If you're a poor operator, you're on a downhill ride, man. You've got to become better operators. And sometimes this comes from this idea of collaboration in a mastermind setting that's got full transparency. Okay, right. I'm going to get off right. that uh yeah, here we are. Uh, number 12. <laughs> number 12 is about retail scorecarding. You know, this goes back to me and my, my, my belief in vision planning. And I certainly believe that every single retail business, every business, never mind retail, Rob, your business included, yeah. should have a weekly scorecard, the five to 15 numbers that give you an instant pulse on your business. Every number should have a goal, a target, as well as a tolerance. If the number falls below tolerance for consecutive weeks, take action to improve it by first understanding 
why it's below target. If your number's between tolerance and goal or higher, pat yourself on the back and move on. Don't waste time dissecting numbers that are on plan. If you are consistently ahead of your target number, your goal number, you probably underestimated. And I tell retailers all the time when I look at our scorecard, hey, we're five weeks ahead of that goal number. It's time for us to move the goal up, right? If your number's between tolerance and goal, pat yourself on the back and move to the next number. Focus on the numbers that need improvement in your score. And this number, this scorecard, pardon me, should be updated and shared with your leadership team or your key team members every single week. And again, you know, I love 12 weeks. That's my season. I want to see 12 weeks worth of numbers at a time. It gives me a solid trend. You know, average sale in apparel or in fashion changes from summer to winter. So me working off a goal that was a July average sale versus an October or November when my average sale is typically higher Right. doesn't make sense. I've got yeah. to adjust that goal for every 12-week period and know that, hey, I'm starting to push the tolerance level here. Let's increase our goal and take activity when that goal falls off track or below tolerance to fix it, to improve it with this eye on vision. When you talk about sharing it with your team members, what's your feeling, Dan, of, of is, is it everything? Is it the numbers that you feel your team has the ability to affect change with like does it matter to them okay that's that number but i can't do anything to change that particular one but what, what are your thoughts with that so when i build a scorecard i typically sit down with the with the, the key members of the team the yeah. ones that are going to have you know influence over these numbers and i allow them or, or facilitate them in choosing the number they're only going to give you a number they can influence and there are times where we're going to put a number on a scorecard they have nothing to do with but that awareness they don't helps. believe they have anything to do with. Right, right. And I'm going to show them how they influence that number. Nice. You know, in, in our retail world, every number has some influence over our bottom line number. Yeah. Every number does. Yeah. It's your job to break that down and show them, like, and show you, them to show you how, to, you know, the back office influences average sale. Yeah. You know, how right. buying changes average sale how buying changes conversion rates. I mean, all of it is connected. It's intertwined. And if I have this scorecard, I can be lost on a desert island, see that number and know the health or the position I'm in with my business. It's just, it's simple. It's five to 15 numbers, you know, and sometimes retailers, they, they get too many numbers on there and they lose sight of the power of the scorecard. Right on. Those are great. If you got nothing to do on a Sunday morning, right, Dan, that's 6 a.m., put your dashboard together. <laughs> so, Rob, I usually do my my scorecarding at 6.30. I do my cash flow at 6. Okay. You sleep at 6.30, in a little... I move oh, the scorecarding. Okay. <laughs> but I do it every single week, the same time. Every It's in my calendar. Yep. And it, it forces me to create this habit. And then looking at the trend in numbers and saying, hey, this number's off track. What do we need to do to fix it? Why is it off track? Right. Ah, we overestimated. Really? Did we? Okay. Let's bring it back into to real life so that not, I, I, I don't want to see a number that I can always beat. I want a tolerance. I want this, you know, 10 to 15% variance between goal and tolerance. So I continue to push myself. Right. 
Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Uh, I think we're on number 13 and we're going to start to shift a little bit now and talk about, you know, inventory management, okay. inventory management, 2021 needs to include targeted collaborations with signature vendors. So here I, I led this off by saying inventory management, and then I went into collaborations, but this will fall under your inventory, inventory. management and in right. collaborations and private labeling as sort of a category. So again, you know, this year, we need to have targeted collaborations with signature vendors. Create a story of your own with the trusted brands you currently work with. Another great opportunity is private labeling goods from your vendors, you know, and or margin goods that help fill in the gaps with the assortment of your own brand. Tell your own story. Build a story out of your products. You know, um, I'm going to use... Um, I'm going to use Michelle Bishop from Elle's Closet as an example today. Uh, you know, Elle did, Michelle did a uh, collaboration with Silver Jeans. You okay. know, she's got her own style with silver that came from a collab. And there are a ton of these great examples out there. Ton of great examples. Stacy yeah. uh, Pacor from Olive and Betty's did a great collab with a New Hampshire sort of theme on it with Levi's and, and T-shirts. And it's, it's all available. Pick up the phone and talk. And we've talked about this on our podcast in the past. Just pick up the phone and call your retail or call your vendor. You will be right. surprised at how small the minimums are. And that how was a excited they had, are. Like, how accessible are these types of collab opportunities? They're very accessible. That's cool. very yeah. accessible. I mean, we're talking about a small shift in, in production or in design that allows growth. They want market share the same as you do. Yeah. And that collaboration can sometimes make that happen. I'll use another great example. StormTech and Outdoor. You know, Dave Carlson at Unlimited you know, partnered with StormTech, branded a bunch of StormTech product with Unlimited. It's my favorite jacket. It's my favorite shirt. You know, they did a great job in collaborating and branding, you know, that product their own. It was a good collab. Yep. Do you, do you ever guide your retailers, Dan, with, you know, back to the inventory side? Do you try to give them a, like, look, you should really be, be driven by trying to make 10% of your inventory kind of fall within this type of category. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when it comes to assortment planning, we're really allocating dollars, right. you know, from our budget, from our, from our open to buy plans. We're allocating dollars to each of those segments. I call it new merchandise, test merchandise, my merchandise, you know, all as part of my assortment. And yep. what percentage can it be? And I'm going to talk to a retailer later today and say, look, you've got to go out and spend 10 more, you know, 10% more of this budget on something you've not carried in the last 24 months. You've got to push yourself. And that comes from good collabs. Like right on. That was great. Yeah. So great here one. we are, good transition. You know, point number 14 is about assortment planning. One of the most underrated, underused tools in indie retail is an assortment plan. Most retailers make the mistake of being way over assorted, you know, i.e. black pants from right. 10 different vendors. An assortment tool, our assortment tool, the one I use, I live on, you know, is built by category or by classification and includes the seasonal buying budget to help me stay lean and mean in inventory while growing profitable sales. It prevents me from over assorting my store. Yeah, how many jean brands do you need to have? How many, 
you know, how many 86 inch sofas should you have in your store to capture market? And how do I allocate budget to stop buying the same thing from everyone? You see, we make this mistake of shopping by vendor instead of by class by vendor. We fulfill our budget at the vendor level instead of the class level. And a really simple, effective assortment plan will shift that thinking. I love that. It is joking to myself that I consulted the research department. I, I uh, looked up the topic of, you know, choice overload yeah. and, and it's a real thing. And, and like, just to share a number here that uh, they're saying that uh, a consumer can only process seven items at a time. And, and so if you really want to, to the black pants, do I have yeah. more than seven choices in my, in my black pants? After that, the consumer needs to create a coping strategy to, to come up with that informed decision. And, and it basically works on a U-shaped pattern where right. no choice is, is obviously not good. And then we get into that sweet spot and then past that seven, all of a sudden it starts working against you uh, uh, with, with the uh, consumers. So, so it, uh, against you. The thing, the the biggest obstacle in achieving a sale is the indecision that it's the right thing for me. The more choice I have, the more difficult it is to make a decision. Every retail expert out there is going to say, you got to have your good, better, best. And inside your good, better, best, you're going to have you know, one to three options in there. And that maybe speaks to this, I can only consume seven things at a time. Right. You know, the biggest thing that stops sales is the, is knowing, is the, is the knowledge that it's the right thing for me, which maybe speaks back to, you know, our sales process, our selling system that needs analysis or that understanding the customer's needs. Too much choice, bad thing. And an assortment plan, Rob, restricts us and forces us to be more narrow and deep yeah right i've got to be deep so i fulfill the demand meet the demand and narrow enough that i don't lose all of this shoulder cash which i think lends itself nicely to this next point yeah 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 number 15 is all about your categorical restructuring every retailer needs to be able to analyze their inventory performance at a class level January is a great time to reevaluate your structure to ensure effective visibility and eliminate the paralyzation that comes from over dissecting your inventory. We need to do a better job of thinking about our inventory the way customers think about it. Most retailers are pretty good at creating these effective categories for online stores, but then completely ignore that rhythm when it comes to their point of sale system. You know, you look at somebody's website and it's clean, lean, and mean, and I can go and find short sleeve shirts, but in my point of sale system, not so easy. We create a a over dissected inventory in the point of sale system. Now's the time to really look at this and say, what's paralyzing me and what's enabling me? Yeah. Yeah. Have you found that, you know, maybe under the coaching question that this is an exercise that is really assisted with some outside eyes that like you just need that uh, outer view to give you a good sense of how to structure it better? Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I'm going to go back, I don't know, six or seven or eight years ago, 
you know, in building effective class structures, we leaned hard on the big guys. You know, you want to be, if you're in women's clothing, women's fashion, Nordstrom has probably one of the best classifications available, you know, and it's available on their website. It's not a secret. There's the structure. Yeah. <laughs> There's a <laughs> good structure the, for you. The map. Which one nice. makes sense to you? Which, which yep. classes make sense and which ones don't make sense. And we need to look at it so that it's fostering growth, yep. that it's looking at inventory the same way that your customer looks at it. It looks at novelty tees. It looks at dresses and it looks at dresses over and under a price point. Yep. It looks at denim, sometimes denim by cut, not by vendor, but by cut or by style, you know, boyfriend, skinny, I mean, Capri. We want to break things down enough that we can see the performance and be able to apply a little bit of pressure to grow that category. Right on. Okay, number 16 is vendor scorecarding. So we talked before about retail scorecarding. We also yep. need to have just a pure vendor scorecard, the easiest and most objective look at a vendor's performance in your store. Create and use a scorecard that includes these eight to 10 areas of measure that include cash margin, sell-through, gross margin, payment terms, markdown dollars, co-op advertising dollars, fulfillment performance, product knowledge, communication, and accommodation. Don't be swayed by sales volume alone. You know, and I'm, guys, I'm going to remind you that this whole list is available at retailbycrs.com. You don't have to write it down or remember it. These, you know, eight to 10 areas of measure are on our vendor scorecard white paper. And again, I'm going to lean back on uh, Bob Zeckel with Cloud9 Pajamas. We sat down and created a scorecard that allowed him to have a conversation with his vendor that allowed them to adjust. And I allow my vendor to score themselves the same on the same key points that I score them on, yep. you know, and just choose is it, you know, out of five and have these measurements. And we've got a great vendor scorecard. So certainly send an email to Dan at the wealthy retailer.com. And I'll share that vendor scorecard with yep. you. I really like this. Like I, I think of, you know, you know, your staff, you, you do reviews with them. And, and if you treat a review on a very transparent, like, you know what we're going to talk about and, and we're going to, you know, together we're working on that vision. This is where we want to go. You think to vendors and, and be truthful with yourself and say, have I been transparent? Have I been talking to them openly about this is where I see opportunity for improvement or do you not communicate at all? Right. And then just one day pick up the phone saying you're not our vendor anymore. And, and that's that, Yeah. which, which you know, kind of sucks for everyone. I would say you both lose in, in that scenario, but if to go through this process and, and, and what are your thoughts about making yeah. it, you know, transparent to the vendor themselves? Yeah. So Scott Smith and I, Scott Smith, um, you know, one of the guys I lean hard on, he is a really intelligent merchant, um, really intelligent retail coach, really forward thinking. Scott Smith and I do a lot of uh, retail education together. Um, and we were afforded the opportunity to speak to vendors instead of retailers at a trade show. Well, we spoke to the retailers as well, but they gave us this opportunity to talk to vendors and showcase 
you know, what a good vendor looks like versus a not so good. You know, when we played the good cop, bad cop, Scott, the good vendor, me, the bad vendor. And after we finished our 30 or 40 minute presentation, we had this open discussion with vendors and the screaming similarities amongst vendors were that retailers just don't talk to them. They don't talk to them when they have payment challenges. They don't talk to them when they have inventory challenges and vendors of really good brands. You know, I remember a rep from Yeti standing up and saying, you know, I leave about 40 voicemails a week and never get a call back from a retailer. You know, why, why? I mean, well, let's go back to our 12 steps of retail. Win, 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 win. Come on. Create a win, win, win environment. Celebrate your vendor. They're your partner. And here were these vendors, you know, 30 or 40 of them in the room that stood up and unanimously said, yeah, retailers don't return phone calls. Yeah. And I, and I would uh, go out on a limb and say the earlier topic we were chatting about the, the collaborations with your vendors, the shining examples probably come from those that have the, the best communication with, with right. their vendor and the retailer. Um uh, yeah. And listen, I this is this more. you should be able to text, phone call, message your rep, your vendor and and get a response instantaneously or you know maybe within 24 hours. And yeah. he should or she should expect the exact same thing from you. And when you use this excuse I was too busy, I am too busy, you just you're just picking away at the relationship. You're damaging that relationship and it's important. Right on. Well, that was a great one. Thanks for sharing that one. Yeah. All right. So here we're going to get to a few things that are going to be maybe favorites of Rob's. Uh, we're going to talk oh, about okay. marketing a little bit. <laughs> and I want to talk about outsourced charge. social media management. Yep. You know, there are some great resources out there to help take your social media ad performance to a new level. Pay for performance marketing is here and something every retailer should be outsourcing to allow them to elevate to their unique ability. Too many of us do too many things, none of which we're any good at, but we don't have someone else to do it. We've never really thought that, wait a minute, you know, let's go back up a few points to professional yeah. development, retail education. You know, you got to buy your education. You got to pay your dues. And working with someone that has immense knowledge in an area that you don't will give you an ROI. And it is purely about pay for performance. And I'm going to say to you, hey, listen, don't balk at the, you know, it used to be, oh, I need SEO. Well, it's $1,500 a month. And you could call 50 different providers and they all had the same number. a month. It's not that way anymore. Certainly there are probably some structural, some setup fees, but it is a month by month pay for performance strategy. And if I'm going to invest a thousand dollars in building an ad campaign socially, I want to see that I'm getting three, five, seven, ten thousand dollars back in revenue. It has to have a pay for performance component. And 2021 is an evolutionary year. We think we evolved. We think we adapted in 2020. You have no idea. 2021 is going to be every bit or more challenging than 2020 was. And it is quite simply going to be driven by consumer behavioral change. 
not necessarily retailer vendor change. There's lots of retail out there. There's lots of vendors out there. There's tons of customers, but their behaviors are changing and we need to evolve to meet that. And that maybe does mean investing dollars where I can see a return in outsourced management instead of doing an internally shitty job. Yeah. I, I kind of, uh, you know, when you're able to a- attach the performance, you know, on the ROI side, I like, you know, your earlier point when you're talking about, you know, cash flow, you know, things, your, your things are going well. I think of if you compared marketing to say a line that you carry, if you sell out that line it's doing really well. You don't just sit there and do nothing. You buy more of that, buy more. that product to sell more. Right. Um, I've been around marketing for a long time. And for a long, long time, it's, well, my budget is $1,000, whatever the number is, $1,000 for this. And it doesn't matter, good, bad, and different. It's $1,000 next month. And you can get into these conversations where, look, good things are happening here. Let's try and do more here. And that can start by allocation at first. Right. But then eventually get to the point where, look, I, I think there's opportunity to, to really grow this particular category and, and let's, let's really uh, uh, chase after it. Biggest mistake made in retail when establishing a budget is that it's a fixed number and it's not a fixed number. Right. You know, to your point, Rob, if you're getting me a pretty good return and you're at one and a half percent of my revenue instead of the three that I have budgeted, I'm leaving dollars on the table. And I think, oh, I'm saving money, but I might be holding sales back. True enough. Yeah. Right. And pay for performance says, you know, I'm listen, I've believed this for a long time. I live it today. I want every single person to knock on my door and ask me for a raise. I'm not going to give every person a raise, but I am going to use this exact same answer. 100%. Let's go figure out how we get you more money. Where's it come from? Yeah. Let's let's work on this together. What ideas do you have? Yeah. You know, to get better, to get stronger. And our ad performance needs to be the exact same. You want well, more money? To, let's go. Totally. You know, back to the vendor relationship. You know, the vendor is saying, I, I want to sell you more. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's talk about how do we do that? Let, let's make a plan around it. Yeah. And and you know, the there we'll figure out the bumps along the way, but the key being along the way. And and Along right. the way is up. Let's let's be clear on that. We we want to right. create that win-win scenario and sales uh, decline is rat poison. Yeah. Rob, sales decline is rat poison. Being over inventoried is like rat poison. Right? Being being over budget is rat poison. It kills you. Yeah. We've got to be on plan all the time and have this transparent plan. And here we are just talking about social media, but it applies to everything in the business. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Okay. Uh, number 18, staying on this marketing theme. Yeah. And Rob's going to like this. I know. Well, I this is a little content here. creation. Yeah. There is no replacement in business for a good content plan. We need a content plan that allows consistent measurement, or pardon me, consistent messaging across all right. of our platforms. It includes imagery, memes, announcements every single outward facing message it should follow a plan i thoughts? I, I like using the line of the i say encourage everyone at the very least we want to be consistently shitty yeah. <laughs> in in our content and uh of course we want to make it better and we want to improve from there but but finding an opportunity 
be it your your this is our Wednesday Facebook live post happens every week at five o'clock. There, there's power and consistency right. and frequency that you know the audience kind of knows that that this is happening. Just like you talk, Dan, about trying a different mix within your um, uh, uh, within your actual inventory. Yep. I would I would say be very open to that too of a you know of a bit of a structure within the type of content that you're you're creating and be mindful of it too. Uh, we we've joked in the past being the old simple hockey player I break it down to like those three layers awareness right. engagement conversion and 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 look at what you're doing in that regular deployment and asking yourself am I geez am I always asking for the sale they might get a little tired of that. What what can I do in other ways that 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 frankly is in the give category? What can I do to to give to my my audience? Right. And a point I made that that I would encourage many in retailers is, um, you know, you talked about outsourcing, Dan, and and I think outsourcing too can happen within your own team, and don't be afraid to to empower some of your team members to. Hey, we we want you. You want to start our TikTok channel? You know, whatever that looks like. Right. You may find you discover some new audiences, some new 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 categories that you never would have done yourself as the as the owner operator. Agreed. 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 And I think Rob, you know, we we need to do a better job of of understanding what content is, you know, and and really defining what that is and and allocating on our schedule, on our marketing plan, is this give or take or give or ask, not take, right. it's ask. Yep. Is yep. this a give or an ask? And, you know, the give should outweigh the ask by how much? Three to one, five to one, yeah. seven to one? Very much, I, I would say. If, if um, you know, I laugh with the, like, look, we all know what's in it for us. We all know we want to get right to that, to that ask. Right. But, the audience will quickly drown us out. And as I think I've said before, don't worry about the audience drowning you out. The platforms themselves will take care of you before your audience gets right. the chance to do so. Yeah. And, and you got to be very mindful of that. And, and, you know, coming from traditional advertising where you can say whatever you wanted. I, I bought this space, this time, right. this, this airway, I can say whatever I want. That does not exist in, in today's digital landscape. It does if, not. If, if you are not providing something of value to that audience and, and the, the platforms will determine that by no one's done anything with it. They haven't consumed or commented or liked or anything in that, that nature. Um, we're just not going to show it to them because right. we're, we're trying to keep them on Facebook. We're trying to keep them on Instagram and we don't want to upset them. And, and cause it, cause if they showed, Everyone, every ad that us marketers and more wanted them to see, they would never, ever, ever go on any of those platforms again. It wouldn't be a good experience. Right. So, so if you really take that into what is it I'm doing with my audience, my community and the give side, it really pushes you to, okay, I, I've got to create some value for them in, in my marketing content on, on back to, at the very least, being consistently shitty. <laughs> You got it. You got it. Right on. Right on. Okay. That was number 18. Here we go. Number 19. Number 19 for me is a, is a cross between marketing and, 
professional develop and maybe even strategic planning. It's what I call my, you know, IGRs, my, my idea generation roundtable. And this can be an invaluable exercise when we feel like we're, you know, bumping up against that ceiling. Gather your circle of influence, your leadership team, your key team members, maybe your, your BAT, your business advisory team, and spend time creating ideas, not how to execute them, just create an idea, just curate an idea. Is it an idea in, in you know, inventory reduction, an idea in a sales strategy, an idea in an operational efficiency and create this idea. Best advice I ever got, name was Rick Stark. Rick Stark said to me, you know, we can spend all day long creating ideas and we stumble on how to execute them. And he gave me this 52 card, this deck of cards strategy. So gave me a deck of bicycle cards and said, let's start writing ideas on the front of a card. So we did. We just started writing ideas down. And it didn't take long before we had 30 or 40 ideas written on these cards. And we put the cards back in the box and set the box on my desk and said, all right, it's time to execute on an idea. Grab those cards, shuffle up and deal, right? Shuffle up and deal. Nice. How many do I want? Today is all I can take is one or two or three and pull a card out of that deck and execute on that idea. Now come up with the execution. You know, we will die from consumption. We will die, you know, from taking on too much. But when we filter things down, you know, and I used to have a bulletin board in my office with push pins that I put those playing cards on and red pen stroke through when an idea, you know, was accomplished, was executed. And when it worked and when it didn't, And, you know, if an idea didn't work, I tore the card in half and stapled it to the bulletin board. And I always knew that idea had merit. It was my execution (laughs) that I lost. And when I ran out of steam, when I ran out of creativity, when I started bouncing off the ceiling, I went back to my idea pool. And lots of times, listen, I can pick up the phone and call Scott Smith and say, hey, man, let's just bounce a couple of ideas off each other. What do you think about this? Oh, yeah, mate, I love that. What about this? That's just idea gen. That's it. It's not about execution. Never ask yourself, oh, it's a great idea, but how would I do that? This is not about the how. This is about creating a pool of opportunity. Execution will come through the examination of this, you know, gap analysis. Who can do what? Why I love love the uh, the writing it down, and I would encourage people to. What I've done over the years is I, you know, I keep books of this stuff. And, and aside from being hugely entertaining 20 years later, when you pull out your idea book, but uh, to your point of not necessarily having to execute right at that moment, write the idea down. It might not make total sense. It might, how do I execute this? I don't know, but keep it somewhere because you may surprise yourself in six months when you pull something that out, you draw that card out of the deck and say, okay, this one really makes sense today now, right. but good, th- good thing I wrote it down. And, right. And, and you see, for me, yep. the exercise was always about making a commitment to the card. Today, you know, we're maybe a bit more, you know, we lean on technology. I use Google Sheets for our idea gen boards. Right. Yep. And then we just use the number, random number generator and go, oh, five. All right, what's five? Oh, <laughs> how are we going to do that? 
it's the commitment to doing it. You thought it was a good idea. Uh, and listen, if it takes us 52 weeks or 52 months to get through all of our ideas, we do need to prioritize. You know, is this important now? And is it achievable now? There's a difference between important now and achievable now, when and when. And we've got to be able to assess, is this important and achievable? It's important. And if something's achievable but not important, what am I doing it for? Right. If it's important but not achievable, why am I doing it? Let's make sure that both of those things mesh together with every idea. All right. Love so that it. was uh, number. I'm going out. I'm buying a deck of cards, Dan. <laughs> well, you don't have to use cards. We well, can use technology, but I love the know, cards. And, and I got to say, like here we are talking. This is all driven out of retail. Yeah. But this is so just not entrepreneurial <laughs> driven it doesn't like insert right. your business and so much of this applies and yeah i love this yeah. conversation i think we lean hard not i think i i mean i lean hard on this because i live and die in retail and i'm all about that indie retailer um but it doesn't matter you know i started my career my coaching career my counseling career consulting counseling career oh consulting career in operational efficiency that didn't have anything to do with retail. You know, I was working with moving and storage companies and, and, you know, furniture distribution centers that had some level of attachment to sales gen or revenue generation, but it was about operational efficiencies. And a lot of the strategies that I learned in the growth of business from five to $55 million a year in revenue really didn't have as much to do with retail sales as it did to operating the business and fostering growth and managing growth. And it's any business you can apply this methodology to. Right on. Okay. That was number okay. 19. Here we are. Number 20. I don't know how this landed on number 20. It's about marketing and expense budget, but it is totally about a marketing budget. This is a miss. You know, I didn't talk about you know, sales training and, you know, the, I, this is about marketing budget. This yeah. is about us having a predetermined amount of revenue, amount of a percentage of our revenue set aside or allocated to drive business and business is driven, you know, in your, you know, hitting the head hockey player strategy in one of three areas, right? We've, we've, we've got to, create some level of awareness and you need a piece of your budget that creates awareness. Yeah. That is the billboard ad. That is the rink board ad. That is the totally. social media ad. That's about the why I do something right. Awareness is sharing your why. When we start to move into that sort of engagement, it's now two way conversational and we've got to slice a piece of our budget to be, you know, engagement driven. What is the give? And then another component that's all about the ask. And the mistake that we make is we create an oversimplified budget. It's 3% of my revenue. Instead of saying it's 1% to this, 2% to this, or 3% to this, yeah. you know, we've oversimplified budgets. And marketing is designed to do one thing and one thing only. And maybe you have to plug your ears when I say this, but marketing's job is not to drive sales. Marketing's job is to drive traffic. You decide where that traffic needs to go. Marketing's job, every dollar spent in advertising is, is designed to drive 
traffic. If you don't have a marketing plan, you don't have a traffic plan. Yeah. Um, couple thoughts come to mind that on the, on the traffic too, is really understanding that your customer has a, a path, a journey. And, and the, the, the plan is not just from point A to, to point B of uh, the immediacy of the purchase. Like it might be, you know, the goal of this particular marketing is to get them just to go to my website. You know, that's, I, right. I want to, the, the path is further down there. I want them to read this blog. I want them to create that understanding on and on and on. You talked about on the awareness side, Dan, like the billboards you mentioned, and my gosh, I've seen this for 20 years where you, you talk about the confusion of the product and what you're trying to do. How many times have you seen a billboard, which, you know, Rob's unofficial formula of your billboard should have six words on it, a picture and a logo right. and any, any more. And you can start deducting the, the power and strength of that billboard. So you see these billboards where they're, they're a hundred words deep. They're every detail about that business that you can think of. It's buy this, buy that, buy that, right. because it's a, I bought this marketing tool and I'm trying to do a conversion activity on what is a, an awareness product. So I, I just use that as a really good example that just creates this extremeness mm-hmm. of, of uh, what you're trying to do in your marketing in the right places at, at, at the right time yep. and, and to break them down into those, those categories and, and be your brand new business. I know you want people to, to buy from you right away, but you have to understand people have no idea who you are. Right. They, they have, okay, maybe a little bit about you, but they don't know about this new product line. It has no awareness. So you need to think about creating awareness around that, around that line. And, and I will argue heavily, especially in this world, if you don't hold equity with your consumer in that awareness engagement side, it's not that you can't win, but boy, oh boy, right. all the pressure is on, do you have it? And is it cheaper than everyone else? Because I don't know who you are or anything like that, but this is the only chance I'll do business with you now. So I'm going to share a quick example. Uh, this came up yesterday or the day before. Marlene and I were sitting around chatting, um, and she said to me, do you know X sells this for more than this person does? And I said, well, which one would you buy it from? Well, I'm going to buy it from example A instead of example B. Yeah. I said, but it's more money. Yeah, but I... You know, I really, I like, I like that store. I like what they stand for more than I do that one. And that was the difference between, you know, purpose and price, right? If you want to be top of mind, deliver on purpose, not on price. If this is about a pricing game and if your marketing is all about pricing, go ahead, swim in that pool. You know, there's very little loyalty. The big A is coming for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Along with, I mean, along with a host of others, yeah, Facebook, totally. Google, Walmart. Yeah. I mean, these guys are all going after price-driven retail. I, I've seen it, and I believe this too, even like you jump into the world of food for a moment where, you know, you're skipping the dishes and Uber Eats and that. And, and trust me when I say a day will come where all they're offering is steak and lobster on the right. front. It's not from the restaurant and they're going to be making it at the skip the dishes restaurant because there's no brand equity. There's no, to your point of the, 
the story wasn't told about why you're buying this state this brand steak and lobster from this brand right if you if you don't have that okay well i'm, I'm just going down that path <laughs> Yeah, there's no question. And this is all about us really, truly understanding how to drive, how to inspire traffic, whether that's, and Rob, let's not forget, consumers go through this, these phases in the act of buying, and it all starts with dreaming. And when they're dreaming, you know, they're aligning their vision with perhaps your presentation, you know, and that's how we start to get them in that dreaming phase. And they move from dreaming to exploring. The act of exploring is trying to align. I think we talked about this a few weeks ago, maybe early in December, um, you know, about the power of aligning a brand with, with the person, you know, and I'm more apt to buy from a brand that embodies my values yep. than I am one that, you know, values my bank book, you know, that's driven on price. And this is certainly about, you know, moving someone from dreaming to exploring. They're exploring where to buy the items, the pieces of the puzzle that complete their vision. And the exploration includes the who you are and why you exist. You know, your why. People will buy from you because of your why, not your what. And we move from that exploring into selecting. And the act of selecting is making a commitment to support your value, a retailer's brand value, their, their purpose, their, their cause, their passion. And if we can capture people in that, you know, dreaming, exploring, and selecting phase, our performance increases. Nice. But that's nice. about knowing where you belong in the awareness, engagement, and conversion marketing funnel. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So Great listen, list, Dan. Yeah. It's, it's, it's certainly not everything, but it's, we yeah. figured let's do 20 for 21. Um, here's the 20, you know, what I believe are bridges you need to bear, bridges you need to cross, components. And even if you just take one of these 20 ideas, 20 statements, and make yep. it your own and make it purposeful, make it part of your business, you will change the outcome. Head over to Dan at the wealthy retailer doc or head over to Dan at <laughs> head over to the wealthy retailer.com <laughs> or retail by CRS.com and get the white paper on all 20 print it, save it, join up, ask questions about it, love some feedback on them. And if you think, you know, I'm out to lunch on something, love to hear from you. Right on. Well, that was, that was great, Dan. And uh, uh, folks too, like sign up for the newsletter when you're at uh, retailbycrs.com because uh, this, this is a bit of a special. And I think this is a great, you know, really to to sort your thoughts and your mind toward what what can bring me the best opportunity for success in, in 2021. But every week we got uh, a great discussion of the headlines yep. of, of what's going on in the world of independent retail. And uh, be sure to join us for that. Uh, we're, we're on all those big platforms, the Spotify's and the Apple's and the, the, the Google's of the world, I like to say. So be sure to There's subscribe. There's only one Apple, isn't there? <laughs> the Apple and the Google. It's yeah. better, in, better in French. <laughs> awesome. All right. Have a great week, everyone.